All right, well, we're, we're going to be right back in the book of Proverbs. We're going to look at chapter 3 this morning, so why don't you guys open up to Proverbs chapter 3, and if you are looking at a blue Bible that we provided for you underneath your seat, it's on page 528. So Proverbs chapter 3, page 528 in the blue Bibles. Go ahead and turn there. And the title of the sermon this morning is just taken right out of this passage. It's simply, do not lean on your own understanding. Right from the passage we're going to look at, and I I figured it's a fitting title really to describe the whole book of Proverbs. I mean, the whole point is that we know that wisdom is not found within us. We, we, We aren't naturally wise. Wisdom is something that comes from God. It's a gift of God. It's a gift that He gives and that we need to seek out. And He's packaged it up very nicely right here in His Word. And this is where we can have direct access to His wisdom. Wisdom is not something that's just floating out in the air that we need to somehow absorb into ourselves as we're asking God, but it's a, it's a pursuit. So last time we were in chapter 2, we spent a couple times uh, sermons and messages in that chapter, and we saw that prayerfully and diligently pursuing wisdom, which God gives through His Word, leads to great reward. There's great blessing, there's great reward that's held out for those who would actually receive God's wisdom. And specifically, according to chapter 2, the pursuit of wisdom is a pursuit that will draw us closer to God. And the knowledge and understanding that we receive through God's Word, it will protect our souls and enable us to live godly lives in this fallen world. That'll be the results. And because of these results, this should motivate us to make every effort to seek God's wisdom through hearing, reading, studying, internalizing, and reflecting on His written Word. So, before we begin to look at our passage this morning, I figured it would be important to address two things I want to remind you of. Two things to keep in mind as you seek God's wisdom for your life. Number one, praying to God for wisdom and studying God's Word for wisdom go hand in hand. And the second thing is this, God's people have a role in our pursuit of wisdom. Other people, God's people, have a role in your pursuit of wisdom. So with regard to praying in God's Word going hand in hand in our pursuit of wisdom, yes, we should pray for wisdom. Now, if you've read James, he does say that if you lack wisdom, let him ask God. God gives it. So he encourages us to pray for wisdom. But praying for wisdom, it should not be seen as an alternative to diligently studying God's Word. It isn't, uh, oh, you should have just asked God. You didn't, you didn't even have to bother studying and, and reading the Word of God and, and pursuing it that way. So it's important to keep in mind that God does not bypass His Word to infuse us with wisdom. And this would be like praying that God would make you more like Christ and waiting for Him to do that apart from any effort on your part to study and apply what God's Word says concerning Jesus' instructions and commands for His disciples. Do you see that? So the principle is the same, really, for anything we want to, any way we want to grow in our walk with Christ. God's wisdom, it's found in His Word. We should pray for it as we pursue it. We've got to keep that in mind. We should pray for it as we are pursuing it because we recognize that apart from Him, we can do nothing. So prayer is important as well. It shows our dependence upon God. We need His help in our pursuit of wisdom. And consider Christ's example. Remember what Scripture says. As he was growing up, he grew in wisdom and in stature. 
And we see in his example in Scripture that he had indeed internalized the Word of God. And what else? He was very constant in prayer. He was always praying. But when he spoke, whether it's in response to the devil's temptations or in response to the Pharisees who were trying to somehow trip him up uh, in their arguments, he always spoke the Word of God. And it showed that the Word of God dwelled in, in him richly. And yes, we acknowledge that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. It's like, well, he wrote the Bible. Well, true. Fully God, fully man, though. Don't forget that. So Christ's example is a, a living, a real example for us to actually follow ourselves. So the second reminder, God's people have a role in our pursuit of wisdom, and that's important. We need to keep that in mind. As we're pursuing wisdom, it includes seeking out and being receptive to sound biblical teaching and godly advice from other Christians. So it isn't limited to just me sitting down at at my desk or in, in my room studying Scripture. That's my direct access to wisdom. But I need the people of God to be speaking into my life as well. The reality is, as a Christian, you're not an island. The Christian walk isn't done in isolation. Uh, You're a part of the church. You're a member of the body of Christ, which Christ causes to work together with all of its members, right? Every, Every part of your body's importance. It has a purpose and a role. And Christ causes the members of his body to work together to build itself up in truth and in love. See that? So our Christian walk, our pursuit of wisdom necessarily involves other Christians. Biblical teaching, godly advice, and you can get wisdom through others in the following ways. One way is this, verbal communication. A sermon, counseling, a class or a a seminar on, on a particular theme or topic of Scripture or a book of the Bible, whatever it may be, or just through Simple, friendly advice from a concerned brother or sister in Christ. So verbal communication is a way we can get it. We could also get it through written communication. Wisdom through the input of others through written communication. Books, articles, blogs, anything that's giving us sound biblical instruction. Godly advice. And another way we can get it is by way of example. The example of others. We can learn from the example of godly, mature Christians. We can actually get wisdom from them through their example. Uh, For example, from those who have a strong and healthy marriage, from those who have a well-ordered home, from those who are self-disciplined, and from those who are basically better at what you're trying to work on. You can get wisdom from those people through their example. Proverbs 29, 17 says, Iron sharpens iron. So one man sharpens another. So the body of Christ works together, and in your pursuit of wisdom, the people of God also have a positive impact on you and your walk in wisdom. You need to look at godly examples and for godly input. However, if we're seeking to grow in wisdom, then the input we should be receiving, and here's, here's the standard, the examples we should be following, the input we should be receiving, are those that are faithful to the truth of God's Word, those that are consistent with the teaching of the Bible. That's the litmus test. So again, a lot of people might have advice to give that they want to give you. A lot of people might want to give instruction. No shortage of teachers these days. Online, oh my goodness, radio's enough, but even on YouTube, even in the comments, people are trying to give biblical teaching. And so how do you measure what's actually wisdom? Well, you measure according to the standard of God's Word. So, With all that aside, we want to keep those principles in mind, and now we can look at our our passage this morning. Look at chapter 3, 
We're going to read verses 1 through 12, this section, this unit. Starting verse 1, read along. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the firstfruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will be bursting with wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline, or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves, as a father, the son in whom he delights. So in our passage right here this morning, we're going to see that at the end of the day, wholehearted devotion to the Lord is what the essence of wise living is. The essence of wise living is wholehearted devotion to the Lord. And for the sake of providing us, seeing some structure and outline in this text, I've broken it up into three parts, and we'll just look at four verses at a time. And the first point is this. We, we see that a wise person, with this wholehearted devotion to the Lord, a wise person exhibits three basic traits. First, obedience. Obedience to God, or in other words, faithfulness. Second, humility before God, or dependence upon Him. And third, gratitude for God, or thankfulness. And so let's look at the first point. We'll start in, in the first four verses, and we're going to see that a wise person exhibits obedience to God or, or faithfulness to Him. This is where Solomon says, My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments for length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Now, verse 1 is similar to the opening of verse 1 in chapter 2 where Solomon says, My son, if you receive my words and if you treasure up my commandments with you, that's how he begins his lecture to his son. It's a call to receive his words, treasure up his commandments. And in both that chapter and the beginning of this chapter, we see that Solomon stresses the importance of receiving and keeping his words, his teaching, and his commandments. However, this is not simply fatherly advice based on human wisdom. He's not saying, listen, son, to my two cents. i got some things I want to teach you. It's actually God's wisdom communicated through Solomon. And the words and teaching and commandments are the wise sayings that have been packaged together for us in the book of Proverbs. So here in the beginning of chapter 3, Solomon's calling for his son to continue in obedience to his instruction. At the beginning of chapter 2, Solomon called for his son to receive his words, treasure up his commandments, and now he's telling them, him to not forget them and to keep them. So this is a call to faithful obedience, to continue in obedience. By the way, it's, it's clear that it is not merely good outward behavior that he's looking for. 
Solomon wants from his son behavior that issues from the heart, that comes from the heart. He tells them to be obedient from the hearts. And really, this is for you parents. This is good for you to keep in mind with your children and for us to keep in mind as God's children that it's not outward conformity or playing the part or putting on a show and just kind of getting in line. The heart is what God looks at. And parents with your children, you know, what you're trying to do is shepherd your child's heart. Yes, you want, you want obedience, but you want to make sure that obedience is coming from the heart and not just outwardly so that you might get off their case. So following Solomon's call for faithful, wholehearted obedience to God's instruction in Proverbs it is a twofold promise of blessing. So in this passage, you're going to see it's, it's an exhortation given, a command's given, but then it's going to be immediately followed by a promise of blessing. Command, promise of blessing. Command, promise of blessing through the whole chapter or this whole unit. And so there's a twofold promise of blessing following this first command. First of all, the teaching and commandments, if they're faithfully kept, he says, will add to you length of days and years of life. In other words, the promised blessing is longer life. Sounds kind of nice, right? That's a pretty good deal. Longer life as a promise of blessing. A similar promise is found in the next chapter. If we looked at uh, over in chapter 4, verse 10, Solomon writes this, Hear, my son, and accept my words, that the years of your life may be many. It's a good promise of reward right there. Now, I said the promised blessing is a longer life rather than simply a long life. Because when we hear long life, we may often associate that with living to be a 90 or 100 years old. Uh, however, we shouldn't try to attach some specific number to this promise because the promise is simply that your life will be longer than it would be if you continued to disregard God's teaching and, and commands. You see that? So listen to my instruction, obey my commands, and the result is longer life. Solomon says elsewhere in Proverbs, the fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of wisdom, the foundation for wisdom, it prolongs life. So in this verse, Solomon's repeating to his son the promise that God made to him when he was young. In, in 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 12 through 14, this is where uh, God had given basically this open invitation. Hey, Solomon, wherever you want, I'll give it to you. And what did Solomon ask for? Right, wisdom. He asked for wisdom. And here's, here's God's response to him. God said to Solomon, Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind so that none like you has been before you and none like you shall arise after you. I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all your days. And if you walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments, as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. It's the same promise that God gave to Solomon for obedience to his commands. God also made this promise to the children of Israel in the Ten Commandments. If you're familiar with the Ten Commandments, the fifth commandment is this. Honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God commanded you. That what? That your days may be long and that it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. And so this command and promise apply to us as, as well. That, those were the Ten Commandments. That was a law that God had given to the people of Israel. But if we turn over the book of Ephesians, Paul restates this command. It's restated in the New Testament for us as Christians in Ephesians chapter 6. 
He reminds them, hey, this is the first command with a promise. And he's calling children to obey their parents, to honor their parents. And so we, this, blessed, uh, or this promise of blessing for obedience still holds out a, a reward of prolonged life, a lengthening of our days. So obeying your parents is wise. And it's especially wise to obey your heavenly Father. Right? So we turn 18. We're, we're not done with all obedience to our parents. We honor our parents, but we have our Heavenly Father who our whole lives were to commit ourselves to faithfully obeying Him. Such obedience will lengthen your days. However, this is just the first part of the promise. There's more. There's also the promise of peace, which is good because, guess what? A longer life without peace wouldn't really be desirable, Right? Not looking to uh, spend maybe a hundred years if it's a miserable life. So it's not only longer life or prolonged life, but a life that has peace. And the Hebrew word for peace is shalom. Maybe some of you have heard that before. It basically means well-being. Well-being. person who has this peace is content and experiences true satisfaction and fulfillment in life. Does that sound nice? true satisfaction and fulfillment in life and contentment. As one commentator puts it, the one who has this peace has a life filled with inner contentment, delight, joy, and pleasure as a gift from God. Another commentator says that the one who has this peace has a rich and meaningful existence. So it's not just peace as in no conflict. Well, we might have troubles in life, some trials in life, sure. But the idea is that it will be well with us. It will be well with our soul. There will be joy and contentment and even pleasure in life as a gift from God, a meaningful existence. So the blessing of peace doesn't mean, like I said, that you'll be exempt from trials and difficulties. Jesus actually said, we're promised those will come. We will have trouble in this life. God will bring these kind of things into our life. He'll bring trials into our life. He does that. He's in control of those, and he does that in order to help shape you and to strengthen you, and to sanctify you. God has a purpose for trials, hardship. He uses that for your good. But having this peace means that you will have peace even through trials and difficulties. It's not, it's not being exempt from them. It's just having that peace through it. You'll be steadfast through those trials and difficulties. For example, in Psalm 119, 165, the psalmist says, Great peace have those who love your law. Nothing can make them stumble. However, just a few verses before this, and this is helpful for us that we read a verse like that, okay. But just a few verses before this, the psalmist says, princes persecute me without cause. So there's still some difficulty in life. And he says, but my heart stands in awe of your words. And then after the verse we had read about grace, great peace, have those who love your law, and nothing can make them stumble. Right after that, he says, I hope or wait for your salvation, O Lord, and I do your commandments. So it doesn't mean exemption from difficulty in life. We'll have difficulty. But obedience to commandments, God's commandments, and as children to the commandments of our parents, the godly instruction they give us, holds out the promise of longer life, peace. In verse 3, there's a second command followed by another promise of blessing. So we go back and forth. There's this alternating between command and then promise of blessing. Look at verse 3. 
Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. And behind the phrase steadfast love is, is actually just one Hebrew word that basically means loyalty. It means loyalty. And it's loyalty that is expressed through kindness, mercy, and goodness. That's what it means. Hence the translation steadfast love. And the second quality that Solomon mentions is faithfulness. And that's basically it's being trustworthy and reliable and true. That's what faithfulness is. And so Solomon says, bind these qualities around your neck and write them on the tablet of your heart. And the idea here is that steadfast love and faithfulness should characterize our lives. Not just outwardly, but inwardly as well. Remember, God looks at the heart. Once again, Solomon stresses the importance of obedience, not just outwardly, but from the heart. And what makes these two qualities special, uh, we might wonder that. I mean, why did he mention these ones specifically? I mean, sure, there are other virtues and, and godly qualities that we should be demonstrating in our life, but he mentions these two. Why does he do that? Why does Solomon want his son and the rest of us who are listening to practice and internalize steadfast love and faithfulness? What is it about steadfast love and faithfulness? Well, if we looked at Exodus chapter 34, this is when God showed Moses' glory and proclaimed his name to him. Here's what God said to Moses as he's proclaiming his name. The Lord, the Lord, which is actually the proper name of, of God. And we just have in our translation, says the Lord. But he's proclaiming his name, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. So God described himself as abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And just as God calls us to be holy because he's holy, so he calls us to be characterized by steadfast love and faithfulness because he is abounding in those qualities. These two qualities that come from God are, are to become a part of who we are. That's what the command is. And then verse 4 is another twofold promise of blessing. It says, Do these... Bind these qualities around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart, so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Well, to find favor in people's sight means that they are pleased to voluntarily show you kindness, goodness, or preference. That's what it means to find favor in their sight. And to have good success in their sight means that they recognize and value your competence and effectiveness. So in other words, you'll have a good reputation with them. So here's the basic idea in this promise. Clothing ourselves with the godly qualities of steadfast love and faithfulness means not only, one, that God will be pleased with us and working in our favor, but also, two, that those around us will be as well. Steadfast love and faithfulness, if those characterize you, not only will God be showing you favor and working in your favor, but even people around you will take notice and be kindly disposed to you, toward you as well. Do you want God's favor in your life? Do you want God's favor in your life? Do you want favor from others? Does that sound nice? Do you want a good name? Do you want a good reputation? Well, then start focusing on your character. That's where it starts. Start focusing on your character. Work at growing in godliness. Ask God to help you to become a person who's characterized by his qualities of steadfast love and faithfulness. 
It's safe to say that our, our relationships, our, our jobs, our homes, and even our church would be a lot healthier and have far less difficulties if we would embrace these two qualities. We just started here. So if we want God's favor in our life, the favor of others, a good reputation, we start there. We start working on embracing those qualities for ourselves. And again, sometimes when we have difficulty, we like to maybe complain about, well, so-and-so. We kind of complain about uh, the problem is them, and yet how much peace will we have and how much harmony, even in the church, if we were just focused on, let me work on growing myself. I'm going to work on myself. Remember Jesus said about you know, the speck in the other person's eye, and you've got this plank in your eye. Just work on your character. You focus on growing in godliness. So in verses 1 through 4, we've seen that a wise person exhibits obedience to God, and in verses 5 through 8, we're going to see that a wise person also exhibits humility before God. Total dependence. Verse 5. Very familiar verse. Perhaps for some of you, maybe some of you have memorized this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. We've already seen in the previous verses a call to wholehearted obedience. And now we see the call to wholehearted trust. This verse is not saying that we need to trust the Lord without understanding. Trust in the Lord. Don't lean on your understanding. Don't need to understand anything. Just trust. It's not saying that. Here's what it's saying. It's saying we need to trust Him with the right kind of understanding. True understanding. And where do we get that? In the Word of God. There's only one place where we can get this understanding. It's in the Bible. God has revealed it, and He's made it available to us in His Word. And this verse presents two polar opposite ideas. You are either trusting in the Lord, you're either trusting Him, or you are leaning on your own understanding. And if you want to think about leaning on something for support, I can't lean on my own understanding and somehow be saying that I'm also leaning upon the Lord. It's one or the other. One commentator says that trusting in your own understanding is trusting in your own native, inborn, fallen wisdom, independently and in defiance of the revealed wisdom of God. That's a good description. So if trusting the Lord with all your heart is the opposite of leaning on your own understanding, then to trust in the Lord with all your heart means to live your life according to what His Word says is best for you, not according to what you think is best. Trust in the Lord with all your heart means to align your thoughts, your opinions, your values, your, your judgments, your view of what is right and what is wrong. You align all those things with the truth that God has revealed in His Word. To trust in the Lord with all your heart means that you humbly admit that you need God's Word to tell you how to think and how to live rightly because you can't figure life out on your own. And to trust in the Lord with all your heart means that you humbly confess that sin clouds your judgment and you need God's Word to clear it up. See that? If I'm trusting in God, I'm not leaning on my own understanding. Do you see the humility that's required? So the wise person's exhibiting humility before God, dependence upon God. Elsewhere in 
Proverbs, it says, whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool. And it also says, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. Don't lean on your own understanding. Solomon said in verse 5 that we need to be leaning completely upon the Lord. And just picture that. That's, that's what faith is. It's, it's leaning upon the Lord. It's that confidence in, in Him. Dependence upon Him. Trust. And then in verse 6, Solomon says that this needs to be in every area of our lives. Look at verse 6. In so many ways. Okay, you know, maybe 10. I, oh, I don't know. Most of them. No, he says, in all your ways acknowledge Him. And He will make straight your paths. This is not simply being aware that he's involved in your life. When it says acknowledge him, it's not just, I'm aware that he's involved. I mean, after all, he's in control of all things. He sees all things. He knows all things. And he's always personally present. Right? He's omnipresent. Well, acknowledge him, that call to acknowledge him, literally means know him. Know him. And this is about personally relating to him in every area of your life. You're not just aware that he's involved, you are actively involving him. You see that difference? That's what you should be thinking when it says to acknowledge the Lord. It's not just aware he's involved, but I'm involving him in, in all your paths, in every area of your life. And perhaps you can think of areas in your life where you keep God at a distance, or more of a distance than other areas. Whether it's at home, at work, at school, or when you're even just out in public, or when you're, maybe it's when you're making plans for your life, plans for your education, plans for your career, plans for marriage, plans for raising a family. Are you involving the Lord in all those things? Sunday morning is not the only time that we should be drawing near to God. If we are trusting Him with all our hearts, then we should be acknowledging Him and involving Him in all our ways. And the blessing of involving God in every area of our lives is that He will make our paths straight. Want to make a, a path straight? It's not just straighten it out, it's smooth it out. And make it free from obstacles for the purpose of getting someone to an appointed destination. However, this is not a promise that, again, we just keep this in mind, it's not a promise that our circumstances in life will always be easy. Let's make it smooth. It'll be easy. No, that's not the promise. It's, nor is it a promise that all our plans will go smoothly and that we will always achieve our personal goals. That's not the promise. That's not the reward. In Proverbs, straightness, and we've talked about this before, it's primarily used in a, a moral sense. In some places, it's translated as uprightness. And it, with regard to people, they're translated as the upright. Its opposite is crookedness, which we looked at in, in chapter 2, which is used in Proverbs to describe the path that is morally twisted. Morally twisted. It's the path that deviates from God's revealed will, and the wise and righteous instruction of His Word. That's the crooked path. And this is saying the reward is God will make your path straight. 
morally straight. So the promise that he'll make your paths straight is a promise that he will keep you from moral pitfalls. He will help you to conform to the righteous standards of his word and to live a life that honors him. That's the picture there when he's straightening out your life. And remember, this comes as a result of you not leaning on your own understanding, but trusting in God's wisdom for your life and involving him in every area of your life. And the more we do this, the more the paths in our lives will be cleared of the entanglements of sin that hinder our sanctification. Did you know it's God's will for you to be sanctified? To be more, made more and more like Christ. And so we do want those paths to be cleared. As Solomon said in chapter 2, the understanding that you get from God's Word, it will guard you. It will deliver you from the way of evil. Now look at verse 7. He says, Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. And this is similar to verse 6. Pretty similar. In fact, being wise in your own eyes is actually what will lead you to lean on your own understanding. Why in the world would you do it if you didn't even think you were wise, but I'm leaning on my own understanding anyway? No, you're wise in your own eyes. Yeah, if I'm wise in my own eyes, I will lean on my own understanding. One commentator says this, Every time we fail to consider God's Word in our ways, we are being wise in our own eyes. We do it every time we imagine we have a better way than God. Or that His ways are insufficient. You know, sometimes we get biblical counsel or advice. We're like, well, this is, it's, my situation is more complicated than that. I mean, that's kind of just too simple. I mean, love my wife sacrificially like Christ loved her. Okay, you know, but you don't understand. Well, no. You know, I, I need to receive that. I need to acknowledge that His way is sufficient. And sometimes he's very straightforward in telling us how we need to live and it's going to benefit us, right? In Proverbs 26.12, it says, do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? Do you think this is going to be a compliment? or There's more hope for a fool than for him. No, there's not a lot of hope then, is there? So the command in verse 7 is simple. Don't think of yourself as wise. That's it. Don't think of yourself as wise. What does it say about self-esteem? Hmm, sorry. <laughs> you know what self-esteem is? Self, this whole concept that you're probably very familiar with in our society. It's wrong thinking. It's, it's, it's backwards thinking. You don't need to have a high view of yourself. Do you know that? Don't need to. You need to have a high view of God. And if you're fearing the Lord and turning away from evil, then you are not being wise in your own eyes. To fear the Lord means, and again, we've talked about this, but it's important since the beginning of wisdom, it's the foundation of wisdom. It, it, just, it means to rightly recognize God's greatness, God's power, His excellence, His holiness, His authority, His wisdom. And this causes one to turn away from evil. That's essentially what the fear of the Lord means. In the opening of Proverbs, Solomon made it clear that the fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. And if we looked over at the book of Job, in this chapter 28, which is all about this 
searching out, seeking wisdom. Where can it be found? And then finally at the end, this grand conclusion, God gives this response. He says, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to turn away from evil is understanding. So don't miss this. I don't want you to miss this. At the end of the day, the essence of wise living is wholehearted devotion to the Lord. Growing in wisdom is not merely a matter of following practical principles from God's Word that will help you navigate through life. Although that's, I mean, that's a good thing. Yes, we want to be doing that. But that's not all of it. Growing in wisdom is not merely a matter of learning a lot about God and His Word. Although that's good and that's very important. Growing in wisdom is primarily a matter of devoting yourself to God by trusting Him, knowing Him, and fearing Him. Do you see that? So maybe some of you, when we started looking at Proverbs, were thinking this whole idea of pursuing wisdom, and you, know, you have this idea of this old man with a long beard sitting at the top of the mountain, and you know it's, it's, it's some kind of intellectual pursuit or maybe mystical pursuit or whatever. No, it's, it's, it's a, a moral pursuit, you could say. It's a pursuit of devoting yourself to the Lord. That's the essence of growing in wisdom. And in verse 8, we see the blessing for fearing the Lord and turning away from evil. Here's another promise of blessing. Verse 8, it will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Do you want your bones refreshed? All right, so flesh and bones... When it says that, they're not literally referring, here it doesn't literally refer to just like skin and bones, uh, nor are they necessarily referring only to the physical body, because in the Bible, bones sometimes refers to the inner man, the soul. In Psalm 35, David, he writes, then my soul will rejoice in the Lord, exulting in his salvation. All my bones shall say, O Lord, who is like you? Again, from the inner man, from the soul. So, flesh and bones can just refer to the the whole person. Yes, the body, and also the soul. So in general, we can understand this to mean that a well-ordered life that's submitted to God is good for the body and for the mind. However, if we are not fearing the Lord and turning away from evil, guess what? We're opening our minds and our bodies up to the destructive consequences of sin. Okay, think about anger. What kind of damage does that do? Anger, if it's not dealt with biblically, can turn into bitterness and resentment. Uh, Yes, your mind can go in dark places. It can distort your mind, your thinking. And anger, yes, can result in bodily damage. Outbursts of anger. Think about anxiety how that can mess you up physically as well. You ever heard of people having panic attacks? Anxiety, stress, I mean, those things can even kill somebody. This excessive worrying and lacking a a right view of God and trusting Him, or just drunkenness, sexual sin. I mean, all these things have damaging effects on the body and the mind. And so we have this promise of blessing that if we fear the Lord and we turn away from evil, it actually will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. It'll be good for you 
your whole person. It will be good for your body. It will be good for your minds. And I want to say this too, that you know, this isn't necessarily saying that you'll never get sick. You know, Are you sick, brother? Then you just need to have more faith. Maybe there's some sin in your life. We read the book of Job, right? Not, not great friends that Job had. They thought they had it all figured out. God has purposes. But just think about this, that in Proverbs, a lot of times we're, we're given the, presented with these truths that are, they're generally true to life. And it doesn't take into account all these exceptions. But the reality is, the basic promise is that fearing God and turning away from evil has benefits for you. Not just moral, spiritual, but actually for your physical life and your thinking, your mind. So we've seen that the traits of a wise person include obedience to God, verses 1 through 4, and humility before God, verses 5 through 8. And in verses 9 through 12, we see that a wise person exhibits gratitude for God, thankfulness. Look at verse 9 Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof, for the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. Do you see why I kind of label this as gratitude for God, thankfulness? And we just celebrated Thanksgiving this past week, which makes these very timely exhortations for us to hear, even just in those four verses. What we're going to learn from these verses is that both material wealth and divine discipline are good gifts from God. Gifts for which we ought to be thankful. Hence the label of that portion. We're going to consider how we ought to gratefully respond to God in light of these good gifts that He has given and continues to give us. And we're going to look closely at the particular blessing that's promised. And your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will be bursting with wine. Sounds like, uh, you know, I honor the Lord with my wealth and He's going to bless me materially. That is the promise. And so we're going to consider all those things and, and guess what? We're going to do all this next time. Uh, which is just two weeks from now, by the way. So the reason I wanted to do that, I, do, I, I wanted us to look at the whole, this whole unit together because I want you to see how it's all connected. It's all pointing to the fact that it's, it's wholehearted devotion and all these areas in your life Wholehearted devotion to the Lord, that's really the essence of, what wise, or of wise living. It's the essence of wisdom. But, for the sake of time, I don't want to just drop the bomb of this idea of financial giving, this whole concept of money, or how we understand the discipline of the Lord in our life. I want us to take our time working through those. And, because this is the Old Testament, there's a lot of things we need to clarify. Because, again, sometimes we might read the Old Testament and misapply it and think it applies directly to our situation. And so we're actually going to take our time going through that next time. Does that sound like a good plan? Because I think five minutes probably wouldn't cover what we want to cover in those four verses. So why don't we uh, close in prayer? Father, we thank you for this, this good morning you've given us. Lord, it's always a, a blessing when we gather together to be strengthened in our faith, Lord, to be encouraged by one another, 
And Lord, just to celebrate your goodness, your kindness, your faithfulness, your mercy towards us, Lord. We thank you for the fact that we even have a holiday that is called Thanksgiving and just calls, calls us to reflect once a year on all the abundant blessings you brought into our life in a formal way. But Lord, you, it's your will that we give thanks to you all the time. And Lord, we have every reason to because you are good. And you've given us above and beyond all that we could ask for or hope or think. You are the great giver. You are our great provider, Lord. You are our comfort and our joy and our delights. And we especially thank you for the gift of your Son through whom we have been reconciled to you. And our sins have not been counted against us because he died in our place to pay the penalty for them. And Father, I pray that if there's anyone here who doesn't know you, Lord, who, who is not in a right relationship with you, that they might call out to you for your mercy, that they might recognize their sinfulness before you and that you are holy and that your judgment is a righteous judgment. And if they stand on their own, they're standing in their sin, they will have eternal hell to pay, Lord, and, but that you hold out this gracious gift of eternal life and forgiveness in Christ and that they would look to him and put their faith and trust in him and repent and, and embrace Christ. We just pray that your spirit would work in their lives and their hearts this morning. And Father, we pray for your blessing on the rest of our day and the rest of our week. We, we thank you for your word. Thank you for not leaving us to our own devices. Thank you for giving us your wisdom so that we might know how to live in a way that honors you, that pleases you, that actually tremendously benefits us in this life, in this fallen world. And Lord, oh boy, we look forward to the day where we will be glorified, where we will be with you, where your kingdom will come and we will reign with you and enjoy you forever in a new creation where we'll never grow old. In Jesus' name, amen.